0: Hey, Ryan here. Does your company have a commercial or industrial IoT project coming down the pipe? Reach out to Vary and let our world class specialists in hardware, software, data science, and design bring it to life.
1: Satellite IoT solutions have been around for a while. They've been using geostationary satellites in licensed spectrum, but it's very expensive. You know, it's not affordable. And what it's doing is it's this affordability is the critical piece in that you know, it's holding back the growth of IOT in deploying billions of sensors in hard to reach areas. So affordability was really where we were coming from. How do we create a solution that's gonna provide a return on investment for our customers?
0: Budget overruns, brick devices, data breaches, Building connected products is hard. Welcome to Over the Air, sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. I'm your host, Ryan Prosser. Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT, connected devices, and the journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Very, and today we're joined by Alistair Williamson, CEO at Wild Networks. We're going to be talking about three things we've covered before, but never at the same time. Low power sensors, ag tech, and satellite connectivity. Alistair, thanks for being on the show.
1: That's great. Thanks very much for inviting me, Ryan. Looking forward to our little discussion.
0: Yeah, this is going to be great. So for those that don't know, tell us a little bit about Wild Networks. Yeah, sure. So we're a a virtual uh, satellite IoT
1: operator. We've built an end-to-end solution to collect data from IoT devices anywhere in the world. We're based in the UK, and we listed ourselves on the NASDAQ First North in Stockholm about a year ago.
0: So we're about sort of like four years into our journey as a company. And one of the things about you guys that I found fascinating is the origin story. We have a lot of people on the show that come from traditional backgrounds, I guess I would say, and a few that don't, and you guys are definitely in the don't camp. Talk about the wild, I guess, origin story. I hate to sound too much like a superhero movie here, but you know, you guys are a fusion of two different companies that came together. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's really interesting. So we formed the company in 2016. We combined two companies together, one company was a software company that was developing a software platform to curate data. Funny enough, the name of the platform is Fusion. And the other company was a company that was developing IoT communication devices, so more hardware and firmware. And to sort of give you the vision of what we wanted to do, our vision was to develop a solution that would allow people and enterprises to collect data from their IoT devices in hard-to-reach areas. And when I talk about hard-to-reach areas, Ryan, what I'm talking about is the 85% of the world surface where there's no wireless connectivity, there's no access to the internet. So that was sort of the premise of the vision of what we wanted to do. And you know, if you look at our background, our background is very much about how we can use technology in various markets like agriculture, the environment, and how we use technology to collect data that's going to allow our customers to utilize that data to reduce wastage and improve operational efficiencies. So that's really where we got to, and we put our the two companies together, looking at creating what we classify as an affordable satellite IoT solution, providing 100% global connectivity anywhere in the world. And that's the premise for the whole
0: development of this organization. A follow-up question, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, a term I think that you've developed a fondness for, wrong side of impossible. It's interesting, you guys' wrong side of impossible isn't that you invented peanut butter or jelly or bread it's that you took all three things and put it together in a way that really makes you guys unique can you talk about like taking existing technologies and how you've applied those in a way that makes wild unique and different you're absolutely right you know satellite iot solutions
1: have been around for a while you know they've been using geostationary satellites in licensed spectrum but it's very expensive you know, it's not affordable. And what it's doing is this affordability is the critical piece in that, you know, it's holding back the growth of IoT in deploying billions of sensors in hard to reach areas. So affordability was really where we were coming from. How do we create a solution that's going to provide a return on investment for our customers? So we leveraged three things, well, two technologies that provide us with three things that We've leveraged low Earth orbiting satellites to start off with, you know, it's next generation of satellites. They're affordable as compared to geostationary satellites. And we also leveraged a technology called LoRaWAN. Now, the whole concept of LoRaWAN is low power. Now, as you can imagine, we're deploying kits and sensors into areas where there's no mains electricity. So our devices have to go into the field and stay there for two to five years on battery backup and solar. So we've leveraged the low power capability of uh, LoRaWAN. And also we've leveraged the the affordability of LoRaWAN. So LoRaWAN uses regulated and licensed spectrum, but it's free to use spectrum. So combining that free-to-use spectrum is looking is pointing towards the affordability piece of the complete end-to-end solution. So, yeah, we've leveraged LoRaWAN as a technology, low-worth orbiting satellites to create an affordable, low-power uh, solution to really allow our customers and the industry
0: in general to really roll out IoT as a mass solution. And we're using low-power here i think some of our audience might be eager to hear that defined i would characterize it as like approximately the amount of stored energy as a aa battery is that correct that's absolutely correct so you know
1: two aa batteries into a sensor with our communication device and the whole concept is that that device remains asleep consuming no power And we've developed a beaconing technology from the satellite that wakes up the sensor when it's ready to deliver that data to those satellites. So yeah, it's very much about how do we get these IoT sensors and our com solution into the field with no mains electricity and working for two to five years.
0: I was just going to ask that. You snuck it in at the end, two to five years. So Do my batteries at home, my AA batteries at home last two to five years and I just didn't know that? Or are you guys using, is this the amount of energy, but it's not literally an off-the-shelf AA battery? No, they're off-the-shelf lithium batteries. What's the key thing about this
1: is that our application or our use case is really collecting data from those sensors when that data is required. So it's not real-time collection of data. Some of our customers are looking for two to four to eight messages or chunks of data every day. And so the key to our technology is keeping that sensor asleep so it's not using any power until a satellite is available overhead and our beaconing solution wakes up the sensor or tells the sensor to wake up, send the data, then it goes straight back to sleep. So the amount of time that the sensor is awake and consuming power is reduced dramatically
0: to ensure it can stay in the field for two to five years, depending on how much data it's using. So Alistair, follow-up question on low power and beaconing. It seems to me that one of the weaknesses with consumer cellular phones is that if you're on an airplane and you forget to put it in airplane mode, You're going to lose all your battery. The phone is constantly looking for a signal for the entire airplane journey. One of the things that you guys have unlocked is, listen, if we're going to be low power, the device cannot be constantly looking for signal. This beaconing technology feels critical to being able to solve the problem. Am I looking at that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. You're spot
1: on. The beaconing technology from the satellites, basically, when the satellite is... The beaconing technology is on all the time. But obviously, as the satellite passes over an IoT device, the IoT device hears the beacon, switches the device on, collects the data, sends the data to the satellite, and then within seconds, as the beacon leaves, as the satellite moves further on, the device goes back into sleep mode. So in certain use cases, you know, the device is only on four times a day to collect data. So you can reduce the amount of power that's being consumed by the
0: device dramatically. And that's really one of the key enablers of our technology. So we understand how it works now. We've covered the wrong side of impossible. And we understand, I think, a little bit about the company's background. We've not gotten much into your background, which is frankly fascinating. But we'll put a pin in that for now. Talk to me a little bit about how this technology is being deployed. Where are the really high-value use cases And as you look ahead, you know, what does that look like in the future? What are some of the use cases that really get you excited? You say, listen, when we crack this, this is going to be a giant breakthrough for us or that industry. Yeah, absolutely. So the the use cases that, you know, we're
1: we're deploying into at the moment, if we take agriculture, and I sort of remind everyone that 30% of the waste of water, the global waste of water comes from agriculture in over irrigating uh, in fields. So, you know, soil moisture sensors are being deployed in agriculture to basically reduce that waste of water and increase the yield of crop. So, you know, that use case is fairly substantive and soil moisture sensors are being rolled out in ag tech in huge volumes. And it's all about how do we use soil moisture sensors to collect data to give the growers Information as to when they need to irrigate and when they don't need to irrigate to actually reduce wastage and improve the yield of crop. So that's one use case in, in agriculture. And you know, if I can give you another use case, uh, which is outside of agriculture, actually, where we're working with companies like Chevron, where they're looking to to monitor. They're looking to reduce oil spillage, uh, oil spillage created by corrosion in oil pipes. So sensors are being deployed into oil pipes to collect data as a preventative maintenance exercise to measure the level of corrosion so that uh, field teams can actually fix assets in the field based on the data they're collecting via our solution before it becomes a problem. So that's just two use cases. We look at the supply chain market, the transportation market. We have use cases where we're collecting datas, data from containers, containers full of perishable goods, and we're monitoring the condition of those perishable goods in humidity and temperature, ensuring that those perishable goods actually land in their location in the condition that's actually of use. So we're actually reducing wastage in that space. But I think the use case that I find the future use case, the one that I really, really want to start to focus more on is in carbon sequestration. So, you know, today we're doing a lot of carbon offsetting and we offset our carbon planting trees and various other methods of, of offsetting. But there are people developing sensors to actually measure the amount of carbon that's being offset. And I think this is critical so that we can actually put a value and measure how much carbon is being offset. And I think that's really going to move the market further forward in uh, carbon trading as well, as people want to ensure that they are measuring the amount of carbon they're offsetting rather than just having an objective view of believing that they're offsetting that carbon. So I think that use case is going to be phenomenal. And we know that In agriculture, farmers are reducing, well, they're changing the way they're managing their soil and they're tilling rather than plowing. And, you know, sensors are going to be deployed in the ag tech space to measure the amount of carbon that's being retained in the soil and using that as an offset for corporations and the general public to offset their carbon. So I think that's a really exciting area and an area that uh, we will be
0: putting a lot more focus into it's a fascinating space i mean, I think the idea of low power connectivity with satellite has giant ramifications in in the space that i would at least here in the united states we would call uh, precision agriculture the idea that you can precisely identify issues or deliver resources, uh, specifically water, you know, so you can, you know, deliver water. This is happening in California's Central Valley where they have long since moved from mostly, I, let me rephrase, beginning to at large scale move from sprinklers, which are highly imprecise and towards drip systems, you know, that hit the tree right at the roots. Of course they have some uh, environmental challenges related to drought but this feels like it underpins this next generation of precision ag. You can begin to roll out precision ag in markets where it was i probably just geographically infeasible and that as we look at, you know, feeding this next 2 billion person growth in planet size, which is an amazing number to me. I mean, just the they're forecasting 2 billion more people on a planet that feels quite crowded already. We're going to need to be more precise with the delivery of resources to grow food more effectively. Is that like one of the underpinnings? It it seems to be one of the underpinnings of what WILD is all about, is being a part of that story, enabling that story. Is that correct? That's 100% correct.
1: That's our background. We're looking at how, and I take this to a very high level, you talked about the population growing by another 2 billion people by 2050, and we can't even feed ourselves today. We talk about 30% of the global waste of water coming from agriculture. You know, We really are in the space where we want to take technology and implement that technology to allow us to reduce those environmental impacts and also increase the yields of crops to actually address those two problems of wastage and growth in population. So that's really what our vision is, is to take technology to address those two key issues obviously being aware of the fact that you know only 15% of the world's surface has got access to wireless networks to connect to the Internet. Hence, we're using low-Earth orbiting satellites. The low-power piece comes in because we're deploying in areas where there's no mains electricity. And the affordability piece, Ryan, as i talked about before, is key to making this a mass rollout application, and that's really the driver and the vision for our company.
0: Give us a look ahead. You know, so we're, as we sit here today recording this episode, right at the end of the first half of 2022, what does the future look like for Wild? What are you excited about? Where are things headed? What can you tell the audience about what they might see as 22 turns to 23? Yeah, absolutely. So at this stage
1: uh, of the deployment of our solution, we're in the launch stage. So when I talk about launch, I'm not talking about launch of the company. I'm talking about launch of the network and the service itself. So, you know, there are a couple of satellites up there collecting data, and we're going through pilots at the moment. And I, I talked about a few companies from Chevron, Maersk, Baya, uh, Crop & Science, you know, very big, large companies that are piloting our, our solution. And when I look to where we're going, we will be launching the full commercial service uh, in the second half of 2022 and then starting to roll out more satellite coverage through 23 and 24. I think also part of our vision is that, yes, we're a satellite LoRaWAN IoT network provider, but we we also believe that in in a hybrid model. So when I talk about a hybrid model, you know, our solution, if there's a terrestrial LoRa network available, we'll send data to the terrestrial LoRa network and if there's no terrestrial LoRa network available, we just go straight to satellites. But what we're looking at is to try and increase the demand for the solution is also to to bring NB-IoT into or terrestrial nb into our solution so that the the cellular operators can then also see some benefit as they're rolling out 5G networks where they've got 5G networks and they've got NB-IoT available. That would be the terrestrial carrier for the data. But obviously, they're not going to be rolling out NB-IoT in areas where there's no return on investment in respect to customers. But obviously, there's assets in the field that need to be connected. And that's where the satellite piece uh, will come into it. So We've got a roadmap that takes us through various technologies and a roadmap to launch the complete end to end solution in the second half of 2022. But what I'm really interested in is getting people aware of what we're doing and putting together uh, pilots with customers now so they can see the solution working before we actually launch the service in the second half of this year. And as I say, at the moment, we're probably doing uh, pilots with. Between 20 and 30 companies. And we're just encouraging more companies that have assets in areas where there's no existing terrestrial wireless coverage
0: to come and join the journey with Wild. You know, one of the things that strikes me about Wild is you guys sit kind of between the satellite and the sensor manufacturer. So, I imagine you guys have partners with various companies that make moisture probes and temp sensors and all variety of different things because you're, you're enabling that connectivity. Well, this is one of my favorite questions to ask on the air. Who are some folks out there in IoT land that you're watching that you think not enough people are talking about?
1: Good question. So, you know, we're working with multiple sensor manufacturers I could mention a few. Travea is a, a small startup in Brazil with huge ambitions and some very very clever folks, and they're looking at the forestry sector and they're, they're looking at how they can collect data to monitor the health of forests. Once again, it points to the sustainability piece as well, and so that's what sort of jazzes me up about them. But Travea in Brazil, great company, great ambitions, and I guess if I was to look at another company that we're working with. Bayer, I think everyone knows who Bayer is, but if I was to give a shout out, there's a guy in Bayer, uh, uh, Richard Rogers, or Dick Rogers as he's known, an entomologist, spent his career basically looking at how to use technology to improve or monitor the health of bee colonies. Now, a lot of people say say to me, so why bees? I say, well, you know, come on, 75% of crop that produces food and seed that basically the population eats is pollinated by bees. You know, we need to get technology to ensure that we can monitor the health and improve the health and well being of these animals. So, you know, a shout out to Dick Rogers. And, you know, there's a lot of people in this business that have put a lot of time and effort in to basically look at how we can use technology to create a sustainable environment for us to live in.
0: I love it. And one of those people is you. For people that have enjoyed your story today, where's a good place to keep up with you after this episode?
1: Well, you can keep up with me on, on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm on both platforms quite often. Just uh, you know, I'm not just talking about uh, wild and what we do, but I also like to talk about how technology can impact the environment. I also talk a lot about the environment and sustainability goals, the United Nations SDGs, and how technology can help corporations and people lead a better life. And that's really the area that I'm really trying to promote at the moment. So yeah, follow me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter, also
0: follow the company on both platforms. I love it. Alistair Williamson, we're out of time, but thank you so much for being on the show today. Ryan, thank you very much indeed. And uh, look forward to speaking to you again. And thank you out there in TV land for listening. Join us next time as we meet another IoT executive and talk about what went wrong on a journey that went right. Over the air is brought to you by very to find out more about us, head over to verypossible.com and make sure to search for over the air in Apple podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. Great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss any future episodes on behalf of the team here at very. Thanks for listening.